PR Pro Cannabis Media. Live on LinkedIn, it's In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. That's me. And every week or so, we have an opportunity to go live on LinkedIn and talk with some of the movers and shakers in the cannabis industry. And one is joining us from California. So once again, Pro Cannabis Media is going to coast to coast with coverage and talk and information for you, the curious out there. Joining me today is an attorney from Long Beach, California. He's from the USC Gould School of Law, and he's been practicing law for 12 years in California. His name is Brandon Dorsky. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Jimmy. And it says right under your name, Chief Executive Officer at Fruit Slabs. And I'm going out on a limb that you're wearing your brand hat. Am I right? That is correct. Yeah. Tell me, Brandon. please, what, what is Fruit Slabs? I'm, I have a feeling it's an edible product. Fruit Slabs are an edible product. Uh, fast way to describe them is they're like an adult fruit roll-up. It's cannabis-infused fruit leather. We make it with THC. We make it with CBD. You can even find non-infused versions of it at our retailers. Uh, we started making it in 2015. And, uh, you know, it's, it's nature's candy times the devil's lettuce. Makes a really fun snack. I like that. That sounds like a commercial or at least a, a, a drop down line, as I say, Brandon, is it? Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, so as someone who's been in California for quite a while and now practicing law there, uh, that, as you know, number one market in the United States for the cannabis industry. But they have had some issues with uh, making the right decisions about regulations and rollouts. And I, I know the whole story of the medical side of things that was brought in in 1996, I believe, maybe 95, but it was that certainly the, one of those two years. Uh, what do you think is the biggest challenge in the cannabis industry in California? Uh, that's, a, that's an excellent question. Um, that's what and, I do. Uh, the biggest challenge I'd say is, you know, metaphorically putting the toothpaste back in the tube, you can't do it. And they had a market here that emerged in 96 and matured and was working just fine. Uh, you could access and get cannabis if you needed it or wanted it in California's medical market. There wasn't really uh, an inability to obtain cannabis if you wanted it or needed it uh, through lawful means. Nonetheless, in 2016, we voted in uh, a new paradigm that allowed for adult use or recreational cannabis that changed the whole operating structure, but it didn't entirely eliminate the existing um, infrastructure that, it, that had matured over 20 years. And there are a lot of people that got their cannabis through that mature market, some who have not migrated into the new market. Um, there are actors in that old marketplace that haven't migrated into the new market because of the transaction costs or the inability to obtain licensure, or perhaps even their city doesn't allow licensed cannabis activity, but prior to that change in law, they did allow or permitted or tolerated these medical dispensaries. And so there's a whole ecosystem that predated the adult use market that is slow to die. And 
Uh, also, the, they're not impacted by the oppressive tax structure in California. So the product's also cheaper um, and a discerning customer that is letting the cost guide them, you know, some of them will just still purchase from that ecosystem. Uh, the product is not necessarily unsafe or dangerous. I mean, who's, no one's ever died from cannabis. So just because it's coming from an unregulated place doesn't necessarily mean that it's unsafe. It doesn't go through the same testing standards and requirements or distribution requirements, but uh, it's cheaper product. And that has frustrated the adult use market here in ways that other less mature markets or other states that didn't have a very robust medical market, they just don't experience that. Yeah, and, and it's funny, I think, I know this for a fact, and I, I certainly read, you know, probably 30 newsletters a week just to try to keep up on all the news that's going on in just about every state in the United States right now. And, and people know that this really is a product that has medicinal qualities. I believe, I think it's something like, uh, 68% want it legalized in the United States and 90% recognize that it has medicinal qualities. Now, unfortunately, no one was asked in the U.S. Senate in Washington, D.C., because they're still clueless and they're living in, you know, 40 years ago. But I digress like I do all the time. Um, it is a medicine. It is a medicinal product. And it's different for every person because the endocannabinoid system in every person is different. So it's a challenge, certainly, to just check off the fact that it's a medicine product, medicinal product, and then say, oh, but you can also use it recreationally for adult use. Maybe, did California get it wrong? Maybe they should just blow up the adult use market and go right back to an open medical market, which is pretty much how you described what it was like in California. And by the way, I was there once and I did order it and it came to the door and they didn't know me from a hole in the wall. So it works, you know? Yeah. It, I, I don't know if the solution is, well, let's just eliminate the adult right. use market. Uh, right. You know, we're being disingenuous if we suggest right. that people don't just use cannabis sometimes to get high and feel good without a clear medicinal or therapeutic benefit. But, uh, you know, yeah, we're also kidding ourselves if we act like it's true that it has no medical benefits. It has tremendous medical benefits. Um, and, you know, we have a federal government that has said for decades that it has none. Um, we have senators that continue to echo that sentiment that it has none, even though the proof is already out there that that's a lie. Um, and the government actually has a product epidiox right for seizures that they yeah. checked off and said yeah well this is a derivative of but it's not really grown we created it in the lab oh and by the way we're going to charge you what forty five thousand dollars for 30 pills or something ridiculous like that right so would you say the government is a bit being a little hypocritical here you think <laughs> yes and i think that it um that reality uh, that awareness of that hypocrisy also um frustrates it convincing customers, convincing American citizens that getting your cannabis from an unlicensed marketplace is somehow a, a bad thing. It's like, you've, you've been keeping us from this good, viable medicine for so long. 
Should I just trust you now that you're saying, well, we'll allow it now from these limited reasons, from these limited sources. And, you know, so it's not necessarily working um, the way the politicians expected. And that's also just a vestige of the reality that I was criminalized for so long, you know? Um, oh, suddenly because you instituted a set of laws in some state or at the federal level, it, like you still had market actors in this business for decades who weren't frustrated by the fact that it was illegal. So they're also not gonna be frustrated by the changing legal paradigms at a state or federal level. And that impacts how these different states' businesses roll out because essentially these are new businesses entering a marketplace where there are definitely already existing businesses, granted they're underground, in place. And every place that has new cannabis laws, um, they're really introducing a new business paradigm to an already pre-existing ecosystem. Yeah. And, and look, I have a medical card in Massachusetts, which is where, this, where I live and where I've grown up and everything. And, you know, I got it in 2013 when the medical program started. I have a horrific arthritis, four surgeries in 22 years. You don't need to hear me talk about my body. Okay. And I'm sure there are people muting me right now. In fact, I know one of them. Anyway, the point is, um, was that always the decision when someone, when you're in your teens, let's just say, because a lot of people experiment with different things when they're in their teen years, because they've been told not to do something. And a child's job is to do pretty much, or at least push the envelope of whatever mom and dad tell me not to do, including touch that hot stove, because I don't know what hot feels like until I touch it. So my, my point is the decision to try an illegal product versus a legal product, and let's just use alcohol, for example, okay, in your teen years, is that really the decision? Do you think people say, I don't want to touch that because it's illegal, or they just don't know enough about it? I mean, is that the first barrier to entry to taste this? Is that what the human is going through? And I'm not asking you personally, but I just want, I think we mis misunderstood that. Uh, I mean, I think accessibility is a yeah. uh, issue. Um, and the, so the laws influence the accessibility um, and accessibility or lack thereof influences latent curiosity. If it's not easily available, are you really as curious about it? So as it becomes more readily available, people can uh, entertain, it's much easier to entertain your curiosity versus having to jump through a bunch of hoops and know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Um, I know that guy. <laughs> and, you know, so that I think that has changed the landscape and the appetite for it. Um, uh, you know, but at, as a teenager who tried both, um, I didn't try one before the other because one was legal and one wasn't. Right. I really just tried what I was able to access because there was curiosity around what do both of these things do? That's right. And actually, I, as I talk about this, I also um, preach all the time that this is a great opportunity for parents to talk with their children about these two products, because one has a, uh, an acceptance level and an abuse level that has been around in the United States for as long as they got rid of prohibition. Right. And we have, we have a lot of evidence that Alcohol, alcohol, too much alcohol can kill you, alcohol poisoning. And I tell you, it bothers me to no end. Every college year, 
I hear about somebody doing, you know, something stupid at some party and they die of alcohol poisoning. In fact, most recent one, I'm pretty sure was 40 shots. And I'm like, I don't think I've done 40 shots total in my life. And I drink it. I have a, I'm a social drinker. Okay. But it, it just, it's just nuts to me that they continue to um, demonize the product instead of educating themselves so that parents can actually talk to the children about these two products. Because if you do compare one to the other, you know, there's one that is pretty benign and the other is dangerous and you have to have it uh, you have to be careful of it by the way not lost on me that edibles can give you a very uncomfortable experience as well so i want to go back first of all do you believe do you think this is a good time if you're a parent to talk to your kids about these two products yeah i think it's important for any parent to um address uh the fact that these substances exist and the fact they're readily accessible and, you know, when when your child reaches a certain age, they're going to get exposed to it, whether you want them to or not. And you should probably entertain that conversation uh, if you want to have a, you know, honest relationship with your with your children and also to be an active and, you know, concerned parent. If your yeah. child's not educated, they can't make an educated decision. Right. And, and it, it, it's truly education that drives this industry because of the they they are uh, the the um, the regulations and the laws deny a lot of the businesses an opportunity to market their products in a traditional manner, so they are limited to how they can educate the public. And a lot of it has to do with in dispensary educational webinars or nights. Um, there's plenty of stuff on the internet. Obviously, some of it's actually accurate, and um, so. It is education that drives the bus here. Am I right? Uh, education is critical. Um, yeah. You certainly, you don't know what you don't know. And because of cannabis's uh, legal status for, <laughs> you know, almost the last 80 years, uh, there isn't a lot of great education out there uh, with respect to cannabis, whether on the medical end or just general historical knowledge it's not really taught you know it's not really taught to you in school um no in fact they teach a lot of of the parents came through the dare era and you know nancy reagan's war on drugs and all that and you know they demonized it and then they find out that wait a second uh i always thought that this was taboo and this isn't that big a deal and besides it helps me sleep it helps me at least forget about my pain and deal with it and manage it better. Mm-hmm. And of course, there are umpteen thousands of stories, and I'm sure you've heard them. Cannabis has saved my life. Cannabis has changed my life. Whether you are addicted to opioids and have used cannabis as an exit drug, or you suffer from Crohn's disease or multiple sclerosis. And again, another reason why it became legal medically in California and they had a vibrant market when it was loose, loose. Good way to describe it. Yeah. Loose is a good way to describe it. So, but as a consumer, I do admit when I go into a dispensary and I'm really happy that I know that the product that I am using as a medicine has been tested thoroughly. In fact, I think Massachusetts has some of the strictest testing standards just because Massachusetts loves to be, 
different, okay? And just remember where it all began, okay? Just remember that the we, we had a tea party here in Boston, and I guarantee you there was cannabis at that tea party, okay? And it wasn't just being thrown in the harbor, right? So the point is, as a consumer and as a patient, I, I do feel much better about going into a store or a medical dispensary and finding the product that works best for me. And, but I also hear all these stories about people at, that are going to the adult use recreation and they wanna use it for medicinal purposes, but they don't wanna have a medical card. And it really is strange to me because there's no tax on the medical side of things in Massachusetts. And there's as much as 20% on the adult use side. So where, where do you think this is gonna go Certainly in California, because you're more privy to what's going on there. Will they ever get this thing right? Uh, that's an excellent question. And I think, um, you know, people's reservations, uh, wanting to use it for medical purposes or medical applications, but having reservations about declaring on some sort of document or to their doctor that they're using it for medical purposes. There's a lot of misinformation there. Um, you know, I think some people are still just afraid to document on paperwork that they are using cannabis out of fear that they're violating some federal law, even if their state allows it. I also think that uh, people may, you know, uh, may have concerns about how it impacts uh, insurance. Um, uh, you might have uh, people in positions of trust or high profile employment where that public documentation of that, even if it's protected record, they may fear uh, that being disclosed or coming out. Um, you know, uh, there are all sorts of reasons why someone might not wanna disclose that or disclose that on paper or think that rather than disclose this, I'm better off paying 15%, 20% in taxes. My suspicion is, that's not a very heavy user. Um, right. If you were a heavy user, that tax is a lot. And, you know, you wouldn't, I, I don't think you would volunteer to repeatedly pay an extra 20% if you're shopping in the store every week. Right. And yet, and that, that's going on in Illinois. It's going on in Michigan. It's going on in Arizona. It's going on in Massachusetts, New Jersey, and New York just voted in adult use as well. And, you know, there, there are predictions that the New York market will eventually and maybe be as soon as five years equal to the California market. That boggles my mind. Uh, I think it's possible. I mean, what, harking back to what we discussed, the California market has a very much mature and robust underground market that right. totally dwarfs the legal market. New York clearly has an underground, but not the way California did. Um, and... I think it's unlikely to dwarf uh, their underground market is unlikely to dwarf the legal market that matures there. That said, they legalized it. You can consume it anywhere. There are no retail shops right now, but you can still get cannabis in the city of New York, which means there's a robust underground market emerging that entrants to the market are going to have to compete with. And that underground market has a first mover advantage. So will there be aspects of New York that, I mean, of California in New York's marketplace? I think so. Depends how they manage it and govern it. Um, but, you know, every new state is trying to look at more mature markets and learn from the past and not make the same mistakes 
They still employ a bunch of career politicians and career people who have never done any business in cannabis and have no clue. And so most places aren't really setting up their systems right. Uh, and they're not appreciating um, a better design because they're just focused on getting a bag for their state or getting a bag for themselves. And by bag, I mean money. I, I understand. I, although I did, I appreciate the clarity there. Um, I want to go back to your product and fruit slabs for a second. Um, you did mention that they are in dispensaries. How many dispensaries is the product available in California? Uh, in California, presently, probably just under 100. So, you know, not, not a full penetration of the California market. Yep. Um, and then you mentioned California. I know you can't sell it across uh, state lines, but you can sell the, the, um, the recipe for the most part. Am I right or wrong? Yes, we've, uh, we have actually licensed our recipe and process and then the licensee buys packaging from us uh, to the state of Washington. And we're planning on launching THC product in additional states. Oklahoma will be the next one. Then uh, soon thereafter, hopefully Missouri and Michigan. And if I haven't named your state yet, it, certainly we'd like to bring Fruit Slabs to it. So contact us. That's but, uh, you know, we uh, we are looking to expand and ha how we can expand within the confines of the law. If the federal law changes, you know, maybe we'll be able to distribute our product across state lines. But now we can't. Right. And um, there is in Massachusetts a limit of five milligrams per square or per gummy or per gummy worm or whatever. <laughs> Um, is there a limit to THC in your edibles in California? In California, it's 10 milligrams per edible. So uh, well, it's ours, a more mature market. Of course, you need a little bit more in California. <laughs> uh, so our, our product is dosed as individual 10 milligram sort of fruit squares um, are like a mini, a mini fruit roll up in the shape of a square. Uh, okay. And that's the, we use 10 milligrams as our dosage in our THC product, as well as our CBD product. Um, if we do find ourselves in a state like Massachusetts, then we likely would either have a five milligram square or the square would be graded and you could rip it in the middle. Um, right. It would still be 10 milligrams, but you could have a five milligram serving. Exactly how they do it here. Now, you know, uh, and I, I don't know you other than what we've done in the last 20 minutes, Brandon. Um, Everybody has an edible story, right? The, the first time you tried it, the second time, maybe you uh, reached for an edible thinking it was two five milligrams and it turned out to be two 25 milligram squares, which is right before they changed those regulations, I might add. And uh, I lost a day when that happened. Um, do you have an edible story? I mean, everybody does. Uh, yeah, I have. I mean, I have numerous edible stories <laughs> running, running an edibles brand. I have no shortage of opportunities to uh, consume edibles. Um, although one time uh, I found myself on my travels in the airport and I realized I actually still had some fruit slabs on me and I felt uncomfortable traveling with them. So I ate them all. How and, many milligrams? Uh, it was 130 milligrams. Oh my God. And please don't tell me you were a middle in the middle seat in an airplane. I was in a row all to myself. I watched <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody and then 
Deadpool, each of which I had not seen at the time. And I was hysterically crying during Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm sure the passengers around me were like, what is wrong with this guy? Um, and then Deadpool, I was laughing hysterically, like in tears. Uh, and then I completely passed out in my seat and woke up right around when we were landing. So, and uh, my life philosophy is as long as you live to tell the story, Brandon, you, and you have, okay? Yeah. And you, and you learned the lesson, I'm guessing, too. Um, by the way, speaking of the laws, and you're right, it is still federally illegal. But from every article I read, and even in uh, personal interviews with TSA employees, uh, they admit they're not looking for personal cannabis use. In fact, I love the story of an attorney from Massachusetts who had a ounce, a bag of weed, an ounce in his shaving kit and went through the the tsa line and he was like oh here we go this is it i forgot to take that out it's in there the tsa guy pulls out the ounce in his left hand and then he pulls out the big tube of toothpaste and says you know you can't get on the plane with this toothpaste but it's too big <laughs> and of course the attorney's like oh no you know what you can have that you can throw that out no problem and and he says yeah and this will just go back in the bag and off you go yeah. So, I mean, those things happen. Those guys are humans, too. And once and again, they're really just looking for explosives or, or uh, uh, weapons, things that can be used as weapons for violent crime. And I don't know about you, Brandon, but I don't know too many people who smoke weed that are really violent. Do you? No, I, I don't know a tremendous number of uh, I mean, violent cannabis part, consumers. Yeah, for the most part, it's, it's really all about... Um, relaxing and uh, getting euphoric and perhaps some creative thoughts happen uh, and it helps with your anxiety. I mean, there's so many elements to that endocannabinoid system that it interacts with that it, it affects everybody differently. And, and again, even though you're starting to see products that say uh, relaxing, focus, um, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, that's a hybrid, uh, you, you know, a sativa may affect you one way and an indica may affect someone differently. Same thing with indica. Mm -hmm. So again, there's a lot of um, self-medicating guinea pig going on, right? Yeah. And, and, and again, you mentioned there really hasn't been any one story of someone smoking it and dying or eating it and dying, except for what happened in Oregon with a human made a mistake of labeling and it did cost a gentleman his life. I'm sure you know that story, right? Uh, I think I'm familiar with the story you're talking about. Well, I, I forget the brand, but mislabeled tincture product. And the reason yeah. why I know is Cureleaf is based in Massachusetts and I know yeah. that was it, but it wasn't Cureleaf's fault. It was human error with mislabeling. And that, of course, is always going to be a factor and the guy just had a really bad reaction to it and I believe suffered a heart attack and, and passed. And now there's a lawsuit for that particular case. And, I, 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 you know, again, I like that you can say that no, you know, there's no case. I think there was something in um, Mississippi or Alabama, too, that they did put cause of death, the uh, marijuana overdose. But again, you know, two out of how many billion people have used this product in the last I don't know, 10 years, 100 years, 
thousands of years, right? So it, <laughs> for the most part, use it responsibly, which is what we preach all the time here. And the, the mantra, I'm sure you know this mantra, then you're going to get to plug fruit slabs again, is you start low and you go slow. And right. don't be impatient if it hasn't hit you for an hour or two, right? right? Well, yes. With edibles, certainly low and slow is the, is the way to go. Okay. Um, so how do people find uh, fruit slabs if they want to at least talk to you about perhaps bringing it to their state, a legal state, legally? Uh, well, uh, certainly our website, fruitslabs.com, or if you're interested in our CBD product, fruitslabscbd.com, uh, then finding us on our socials, which for the most part are at Fruit Slabs on any social media platform. Uh, our individual states are usually at Fruit Slabs, insert two letter identifier for state. So Fruit Slabs, CA, WA, OK, uh, oh. et cetera. So those are our different state licensees if you're looking for our THC products in those states. Gotcha. Um, that's that, I like that. I, that is a, that's truly white paper, whatever they call it. That's very well done. Um, you got some product you wanted, you were going to do show and tell for us and you, you stepped Oh, well, yeah, you, absolutely. Do some show Jeez. and tell here and then we'll, we'll wrap this thing up for a uh, Wednesday afternoon. This is the uh, original Fruit Slabs lineup. You've got, we've got four flavors, our grape, ape, grape our, yep. our tropical haze. Tropical. tropical haze is a mango base with organic hemp seeds on top. Uh, and tropical fruit flavors. Then this is our OG mango. It's literally mango and kosher certified cannabis. That's it. Two ingredients, totally delicious. Was was Rabbi Yaakov Cohen involved with that kosher? Because do you know him? Oh yeah, ya yes, Rabbi Cohen, Whole Kosher Services. They're our yeah. friends. Yeah. You can see the WKS right here on the back. Excellent. Uh, there we go. We were the first kosher certified edible in the adult use market. We're big fans of Whole Kosher Services and Rabbi Cohen. Shout out to them. Um, and a muzzle toe from me. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, and our last flavor is the Mango Maui Wowie. It's mango, coconut, has coconut flakes on it. Um, and we will be introducing our first new flavor uh, to the market in several years. It'll be our first sour slab. It's yep. called Aquamelon. It's watermelon sour, uh, still all natural ingredients, no artificial food coloring, no artificial flavoring, uh, no added sugars, still five ingredients or less, uh, still 10 calories or less per serving, one calorie or less per milligram, oh, yeah. keeping it healthy, keeping it functional food. You, you, you could, you're spewing out all those specs. I love that. Is it a, are, are some of them one-to-one -one ratio to THC to CBD? Or, and do they have any other cannabinoids in them besides CBD, like CBN? Correct. CBG? Uh, we do not yet sell uh, a one-to-one. -one. Okay. Um, we are exploring it. Our CBD products are made actually with broad, currently they're made with broad spectrum. They used to be made with full spectrum, but uh, as practitioners might know, sometimes the full spectrum oil you get is not viable for making end product um, because it has too much THC in it, otherwise known as hot hemp. Uh, to avoid that moving forward, we are using full spectrum. So if you work for the government, you work for the military, you can still safely consume our CBD products. You won't test positive on any drug tests you might be taking, which we think is important. Uh, we do have other cannabinoids in our products, but in 
you know, their presence is minor. Um, we are looking into building out products that focus a bit more on the minor cannabinoids, CBG, CBN, as well as, you know, adaptogens and vitamins. We've piloted our, our core flavors with vitamin C, B, and D added to it. We're just trying to make sure it gets dialed in so it tastes the exact same. Because uh, one thing we do pride ourselves on is our THC product, our CBD product, and our non-infused products. They all taste the same. You can't tell the difference. Um, that is something you should pride yourself on. That's good because there's nothing worse than opening up an edible. And well, it's not true. I actually enjoy the smell and the taste because it's been part of my life for so long. But anyway, Brandon, I want to thank you for taking the time and enlightening us on the East Coast about what's going on on the West Coast. It's something we love to do on Pro Cannabis Media on a regular basis. It's why we're so proud of our news program called We Talk News with 12 different reports from different states around the United States. And this Friday, since we're live on LinkedIn now, we're going to be doing an international show with a talk about what's going on in international markets with this product. And we have a, I always have an all-star lineup of people. And that's at 4 p.m. Eastern time, Green Rush Live. So for Brandon Dorsky from Fruit Slabs, and for our entire team at Pro Cannabis Media, both of them, <laughs> I'm Jimmy Young, and that'll do it for a live edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Thanks for watching, and remember, it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. Thank you for having me, Jim. It was great. <laughs>